Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 118 of The Morning After. I'm Jesse Kiefer. I'm Sari Kamen. You know, Sari, author, poet, and satirist Jonathan Swift is quoted as saying he was a bold man or woman, I put that part in, that first <laughs> ate an oyster. Mm. And I, I can't agree more. And that's what today's show is dedicated to oysters. I am so excited. <laughs> I've been waiting my whole life for this episode. No, absolutely. I guess I have two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Growing up in Ohio, you ate a lot of oysters? Uh, not a one. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine, yeah, things in Phoenix weren't like that either. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't until moving to New York that I began devouring them I had the a, way that we I had never now. tasted one until I moved to New York as well. And I have to say the first time was not the best time. What happened the first time? I thought it tasted like snot or I thought it felt like snot. Yeah, I mean, texturally, I think that's maybe a hurdle that you have to jump. Yeah, but I was willing to jump it. And oh, what a bold man I was. Well, obviously, Sari and I are no experts on oysters, although we do like to enjoy them. Although I I would consider myself (laughs) a champion. A champion on oysters. Um, (laughs) But to drop all of the knowledge on on us today, we've invited some of the foremost oystery is oystery a word? It is, it is now, today. Jesse, oystery friend. people in New York City. Uh, we have Mr. Kevin Joseph, the co-founder of New York Oyster Week, which Woo-hoo. is coming up starting September 11th. Uh, we have Adam Geringer Dunn of the uh, Sustainable Fish Market and Raw Bar in Greenpoint called Greenpoint Fish and Lobster. Super excited. That opened not too long ago. To rave reviews. Rave reviews, absolutely. And also, Ben Crispin, service director of the dandy and delicious Maison Premier Oyster House and Cocktail Den. Uh, So we're going to talk to them a little bit later in the show after the break. And then after the second break, Sari, we've got another installment of the Morning After Quiz in which I will ask all of these gentlemen about something I don't think they know anything about, oyster crackers. We're excited to find out. (laughs) Totally excited (laughs) to find out. But first, first, Sari's got uh, this week's food news. Indeed. File this under the category of this makes no sense, but I like it. (laughs) Japan has unleashed a new commercial campaign that features cats working at Pizza Huts. Not sure what this has to do with pizza, but seeing kitties dressed in Pizza Hut uniforms is adorable. So somehow I want to go to there. (laughs) Speaking of Asia, a chef in China. This is very sad. A chef in China died from a cobra cobra bite. 20 minutes after he had cut the head off the snake. I kind of want to talk about that, Terry, because okay. do, you, do you realize that you can, you can sever parts off snakes and, and you know, it'll, it'll grow back? Obviously, when the head is cut off, it kills the snake, but it doesn't completely well, they say, yeah, die. Like like it's a still, chicken, when you cut off its head, will still run around. A snake, a venomous poison death snake, when you cut off its head, will still kill you in fact he probably wants to kill you more because he's so pissed at you for cutting off his head well yeah and you know just you know to everyone out there dispose of severed snake heads before you continue i guess well okay so (laughs) 
so we know the whole situation here. The chef, he was he was cooking. He was preparing a dish called Indo-Chinese spitting cobra, which is a rare delicacy. Which already sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah, don't eat that. And so 20 minutes later, he went to throw out the head in the trash can. And as he was throwing it out, it bit him. And sadly, he died because it was poison venom. And he couldn't get to the hospital in time. Um, so the moral of the story is don't eat animals full of killer venom. Yeah. Yes. No, that's a good moral. Okay. So what are you going to eat? How about stick with something safe, like chicken, maybe? Apparently snakes, chicken, they taste the same. Um, actually, don't eat chicken. The FDA admitted that chicken is potentially cancer-causing because they put a deadly arsenic into their feed of, you know, most commercially raised chicken something that was suspected for a long time. And Sam's Club has recently recalled 60,000 pounds of their Caesar salad kits because the chicken is contaminated with listeria. So if you bought that... Chicken in general, definitely just a bad idea. Get Luckily, a full refund. This is not a, a show about chickens. No. So <laughs> I think Jesse and I officially are here to say we endorse eating oysters. Absolutely. On that note, let's take a break and come back with our guests. listening to Wake Up by Eula. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. This is Clay Gordon of thechocolatelife.com, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. More specifically, you're listening to The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I am one of your hosts, Sari Kamen. And I'm Jesse Kiefer. That's my co-host right there. (laughs) Um, Also in the studio today, well, first let's back up in case you, you missed the first part, and let us just... Say it to the the heavens and above. It is the oyster episode, and we are so episode. excited. So um, in the studio today, we have Ben Crispin. He's the service director at Maison Premier. We have Adam Geringer-Dunn. He's the co-founder of Green Point Fish and Lobster. And we have Kevin Joseph, 
co-founder of New York Oyster Week, which is soon approaching, September 11th through the 21st. So, hi, gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming to the show today. Hello. Thanks for having us. Hi. Thanks. Hi. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it would be nice if each of you just kind of introduce, your ta- introduce yourself and tell us a little about uh, the place that you work at. So, Ben, why don't you, why don't you start? Sure. Um, I'm the service director at Maison Premier in Williamsburg. Uh, cocktail bar, uh, oysters, absinthe, doing a lot of stuff. Uh, crazy busy happy hour. We do dollar oysters. Uh, and not just dollar oysters. Uh, sometimes we have you know, 20, 20 varieties for a dollar. Some of the West Coast are $1.25 now with uh, shipping being raised, uh, the, the, the uh, price of shipping. Uh, and after happy hour, we have usually about 33 oysters. So we have one of the biggest oyster lists in the city right now, uh, in the country. Um, there are times when we have all five species uh, at once. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So it's busy. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about five species. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm officially already stumped. <laughs> Adam. Hi, how's it going? Hi, it's going well. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Great. Nice uh, Thank you. <laughs> Tell um, us about you. <laughs> Uh, my name is Adam. I'm the chef and co-owner of Greenpoint Fish and Lobster Company. It uh, we opened. Uh, it'll be a month on Wednesday. Mazel Thank you very much. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, we are a fully traceable seasonal seafood market and raw bar and seafood kitchen, if you will. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a wild month. And you guys also have been doing like tons of events and yeah, cool we did things. leading up to our brick and mortar location. We were doing pop ups for about a year and a half, um, once a month, just doing you know boat cruises, lobster bakes, clam bakes, backyard the kind of kinda stuff kinda that everybody hates. Awful, awful stuff. Um, <laughs> lots of lots and lots of lobster and oysters and ceviche and crudo and really horrible things. Yeah, <laughs> I, I participated in a few. It was, it was the worst. Just kidding. Um, hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think it's my second time on your radio network. I think I called in once. Welcome. Last year. Yeah, we, we talked. But yeah, thanks. Um, so I created Good New York Oyster Week. Yeah, it's nice to meet you. Created New York Oyster Week with Rudy Ehrlich um, in 2010 in concept, and then in 2011. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, 2011 in concept, and then in 2012 and 2013, we actually produced a series of oyster-centric events all around the city and had a group of restaurants participate in an uh, in-dining restaurant experience whereby they would feature an oyster dish all week. And so that's what an oyster week is. People ask me, what's an oyster week? I say, well, it's two things. It's a collection of oyster-centric events, and it's a collection of restaurants that are participating in featuring an oyster dish of their own composition, uh, typically cooked um, uh, during Oyster Week. Yeah, so, you know, what we're trying to do is create a gateway oyster. Uh, We're trying to create an uh, an experience in the in-dining program whereby people that go, oh, oysters, I don't know, maybe they're more likely to try one that's been uh, prepared, cooked in some way. Uh, And if they like that, then maybe they'll try their first raw oyster. And that's really what we're trying to get everyone to not just try, but love. Cool. Um, I happen to know, because I've talked with you before, that there's like a whole nother level and aspect to Oyster Week, um, which a lot of people don't know about just from, you know, kind of like browsing the website or, you know, quickly looking at the flyer, which is um, how much Oyster Week is actually doing so much good for the waters of New York. And if you could talk about that, and Adam, maybe you can jump into because you guys are really interested in sustainability. Oysters are not just, you know, delicious food. I mean, they also serve a purpose in terms of filtration and 
I, I mean, I, I'm the last person to take credit for that, really. I think, you know, even Ben would, would be a part of that community of people that are not just interested in the oyster as a food source, but the oyster as a, as a, a what we call a keystone species in the ecosystem. Uh, the salt marshes of this country, um, there's only 20% of them left from, from their historical numbers, so, you know, acreage. Uh, it's the salt marsh. Uh, in fact, the salt marshes have more biodiversity than even uh, rainforests. Uh, and it is in the salt marshes that all the other species of marine species that we eat and depend on for food, uh, where they nurse, where, they, where they're born, and where they're essentially where they grow up and get to be bigger, where they find shelter to grow. And so New York um, Harbor is one of the greatest and grandest estuaries in the world um, that used to produce trillions, literally, of oysters um, that fed New York City for hundreds of years. It was a primary source of protein. Uh, in New York City for both the rich and the poor for literally 100 years, most of the 19th century. So New York Oyster Week is about um, our mission, we say, is to pr promote the uh, history, culture, economy, ecology of oysters in New York City. And so I'm just one person that's a part of that. And, and these guys are, you know, in presenting and preparing oysters, especially the way Maison Premier has been doing it for a long time, you know, just so expertly and knowing everything about them. It's, it's about getting people to understand how important oysters are, not just as a food, but as a part of an ecosystem. And all we're doing with Oyster Week is, is saying, look at this community of people that are doing that, um, and where can you learn from them, whether it's restaurants, chefs, uh, shuckers, uh, or the beneficiaries, as we call them, that we work with, Billion Oyster Project, um, New York Harbor School, and now this year we're also working with uh, Oyster Restoration Project, as well as uh, New York, New Jersey Baykeepers. So yeah. I know you guys are all really highly involved with that. and uh, uh, We've been exciting. a part of the Billion Oyster Project for, I want to say, two years now. And before that, um, I worked at Oceana, which is oh, cool. a huge, I mean, they're gigantic, and they give... You know, thousands and thousands of oysters a week. Uh, this is Ben from Maison. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hi. Um, uh, and you worked with Ben Pollinger at Ocean. I, I certainly did. Yeah. I certainly did. Great For chef, years. Great yeah. chef. He's a really nice guy. Um, yeah. And was involved in the Billion Oyster Project, I mean, back at yeah. the very, very beginning. Um, you guys were all very much, yeah. you know, the charter members of that. And so. uh, we, we still save, um, I, although they're having some problems at Governor's Island right now, um, but up until, you know, maybe I don't know, two months ago. Yeah. You know, we were saving, you know, 30 gallons. They'd pick it up once a week, a 30-gallon tub full of, of oyster shells. Uh, they started with East Coast, only East Coast, and then they kind of ex expanded. They allowed West Coast as well. Uh, and we just, we would save, you know, from happy hour, we'd just save tubs and tubs and tubs of oysters. You know, we're, we're selling, I, uh, I'm not sure, like, the exact number, but, you know, 3,000, 4,000 oysters a day. Something like that. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, a lot more than our size would make you think. Uh, and yeah, we were saving uh, all the shells we could. Uh, shuckers were saving top shells as well. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's amazing how many oysters you can come up with. And yeah, I don't think people think about that when they eat yeah. oysters. That actually the shells are it's, being it's, saved it's and so important. Um, and going back into the water. People don't think about it. Oysters grow. Oh. Oysters grow in reefs with other oysters. Um, when when you can get. The, all of the minerals in the oyster shells back into the water as it leaches out of the shells from dead oysters back into the water uh, the other the, the spats the, the essentially baby oysters can pick that back up faster so the more the more of those minerals are in the water the faster the other oysters grow which is why oysters grow in reefs like that where they all clump together uh, so the idea behind the Billion Oyster Project is to just to put that back into the water around, around New York to really regrow the, the the oyster beds, the the oyster beds in New York, 
the historic oyster beds are huge. I mean, uh, half the lower part of the island is built on oyster beds that that became landfills that then be, were filled in, and then you know as as it progressed, you know, Manhattan got got, got larger because of the oyster beds around around New York, and you know since you know probably the 1800s they've been slowly wiped out and now they're almost non-existent anymore wow. and they're doing a lot on governor's island for this of course yeah i was going to ask you know what is the likelihood in you know the next five ten years that we will be eating straight out of new york city water oysters i would say non-existent um, um, yeah pretty <laughs> unlikely um but, you know, oysters have, you know, they're filtering 50 gallons of water a day. Um, so the, the goal, and anybody can jump in, you know, uh, as well, but uh, the goal of the Billion Oyster Project is to kind of help, you know, help the water, uh, the waterways around New York yeah. Harbor, uh, clean them out, you know, improve the, uh, the quality, the water quality. So we kind of have to change our mindset. It's not about eating the oysters. Yeah, it's it's actually about, about the oysters helping yeah, exactly. our water yeah, exactly. and helping our yeah. ecosystem. Um, not only that, not only is it water quality, but it's also biodiversity. Yeah. Even an oyster farm, right? So most farmed things are generally bad because they homogenize a, a, a landscape. But an oyster farm is actually a great thing because it actually creates substrate and nooks and crannies for other creatures to populate. If you take an oyster bag and empty it in the middle of the summer, I've found tropical fish um, yeah. because the Gulf Stream pushes them up in, into New York. Uh, so those tropical fish babies are living within the oyster uh, bags of an oyster farm. So it's actually creating uh, b- biodiversity, not just filtration. They're sequestering nitrogen. They're sequestering carbon. So all of that stuff being taken out of the water is actually a good thing for the waters. Um, but back to the point. No, we're not going to be able to eat oysters <laughs> out of the Hudson River no. anytime soon. But that's just one. They're one also aspect. they're also providing a solid bottom, which yeah. to the water, which people don't think about. But um, having you know a muddy bottom, very few things can live in that and on that. They need that that kind of solid bottom to. It provides, like you said, nooks and crannies for fish to hide in. I mean, everything like when there's no, when there's just mud on the bottom, very few things live. Cool, um, Adam. You run a sustainable seafood shop. Can you talk about, um, I mean, okay, so oysters, like from listening to you guys talk about it, it feels like oysters are a sustainable seafood choice. It, it's the, yeah. like a perfect food. Okay. <laughs> net, net, net positive. Great. It's, yeah. And is that all oysters? I mean, what about if you're on the East Coast and then you eat West Coast oysters? How does oh, that work? I mean, you can, yeah, you can look at the, you know, the carbon footprint of mm-hmm. shipping East to West Coast um, or West to East Coast. But, um, you know, I think, the more oysters people eat, the better in general, and I think it's going to offset um, that, you know, the shipping and freight costs just in general. It's a really positive food source, an amazing source of protein, um, and just the overall beneficial impact on the environment um, and ecosystem. It's it's hard. It's hard to... I'm, I'm, I like to encourage people to eat as many oysters as possible. I think it's a really good thing for the country and for the world. Do it for the country. Yeah. <laughs> I eat so many oysters. I am such a good American. Yeah, such a good exactly. patriot. Um, I want to get down to like a, a very basic question between East and West Coast oysters. Um, what is the difference in, in flavor profile? Very different. Um, in general, East Coast oysters are much have much higher salinity content. Um, much brinier and uh, West Coast are known traditionally as being sweeter and creamier. Um, a lot of that has to do with the water temperatures and currents and uh, tide 
tide changes and fluctuations. So the the it's it's actually about the terroir of yes. the oyster versus the specific species of oyster yeah. that you're eating. Yeah, I mean, I uh, was in San Francisco a couple months ago and uh, had Hog Island. They grow Blue Point oysters like seeds from Long Island. They grow them in Tomas Bay, <laughs> and they were phenomenal. Not like in, you know a Blue Point you might have had in in New York or Long Island. Um, they were amazing, and that's because where they were grown, this, where the seed was grown. Kevin, you seem to have a, a nod your head kind of I, thing well, about no. the terroir of an oyster. I think I think that different species have different flavor profiles. You know, I think a different, um, you know, typically a West Coast oyster, the gigas or gigas species, uh, Pacific oyster, which was introduced to this country uh, from uh, Japan. Um, I think it just tastes different. It's got a different flavor profile than the Virginica or the East Coast oyster. Um, and different size, a lot of, lot of differences. Um, but I also think that you can take a Pacific oyster from British Columbia and compare it to one that's grown even as far as South or New Zealand, actually. Um, because uh, they'll grow, uh, we bring in a lot of oysters. You ever, you ever have any? Yeah. yeah. We get, we get or, or, or any, um, you ever get the Kiwi Cups? Yeah. Yep. So yep. I, I came up with that name. I like it. I worked that. at Blue Island, <laughs> yeah. Um, they sell really well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's better than calling it Clevenden Coast, right? Nobody knows where that is anyway. But, um, you know, they're going to taste very different. Same species, different. I, what I shake my hand about was it has a different marowar. So I think. I use that term. I'm rolling loosely. my eyes right yeah, now. Don't roll your eyes. Hollinger does too. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a. I think it's a legitimate term. I mean, you know, people say, "Well, what is marijuana?" I say, "It's a," you know, and I also often think of uh, and describe as I train staff and, and chefs in different places. Like oysters are essentially a marine grape. I mean, they almost they kind of reproduce in the same way as plants. Uh, they are I call them fleur de seas. You know, they are really a kind of like a flower. Uh, and they and so they pick up a miroir the same way a plant or a grape picks up a terroir. Uh, and there's just different minerals and algaes that they're eating. They're an animal, but so they're eating algaes, they're eating plankton, they're eating zooplankton, phytoplankton. And so those things are different species in different places are definitely going to affect the miroir of, um, yeah. of an oyster. I think you see a lot more flavor differences in East Coast oysters. You know, something from Maine, like a pemaquid, tastes totally different than... Um, something from Virginia, or you know, just very, very different. But although the same species, so Jesse, and, do you do oh. you like uh, East Coast or West Coast oysters? I'm better? I'm an East Coast oyster. I'm a person. West Coast person. What does mm-hmm. that say about us? Ebony. <laughs> and one thing that I, that I found is um, East Coast East Coast people tend to eat both a lot more. Uh, West Coast people tend to eat way more West Coast, yeah. and I think that's represented in the in the actual oyster bars as well. Like East Coast bars tend to have both. Like we we usually shoot for like all things being equal. You know when when we can get everything in um, like sixty forty, like East Coast West Coast sixty East forty West. But but a lot of the West Coast oyster bars do pretty much nothing but West Coast, with maybe one or two East Coast thrown in. Um, so I think it depends on where you grow up. Like a lot of the West Coast people grow up eating nothing but West Coast, and that's what they are, they're, they're, they're used to, that's what they know, that's what they eat. It's funny how people usually do have a preference, though. Not a lot of people are like ambidextrous oyster eaters. Mm. I mean, I will eat both, but, but personally, I mean, I think maybe some of it has to do with, with it being more local. Um, and, and that, I guess, in my mind, means more fresh. 
I know I don't think you're freezing oysters as you're shipping them across the country. No, um, no. And they arrive alive, and they're alive on the ice at Maison Premier yeah. Rainport. Yeah. You know, so exactly. they they're sitting there alive, and when you shock them, you actually literally physically kill them. So it's about as fresh a food as you can have, and, uh, and you're eating very raw. Very when you're talking about miroir, I mean, it, it's so like. I also believe in that term. When you get a really fresh oyster and you shuck that, that the liquid inside, all that liquor, that's seawater. Sea water. Yeah. I mean, if you just go state to state and drink tap water, you can see a giant difference in how tap water tastes. Imagine the oceans. I mean, it's huge. And if different bays with uh, how often the water is circulated in and out because of the tides, how big it is, the runoff, everything, farms, anything that's nearby, um, factories, cities, anything like that, they can change the water and change the mineral content and change you know runoff from from mountains runoff from stones can change the mineral all, all that that's all in the water mm-hmm. that's all the oyster filters through so when you get that fresh oyster and you and you you know shuck that take the top off and just slurp the that is essentially a, like a tablespoon of seawater from wherever it's from and marijuana yeah exactly Absolutely. exactly i'm believing in the term absolutely no yeah i, I want to ask about um, kind of the the oyster myth Yep. that you hear about. And I don't even know if it's a myth. Um, you know, don't eat oysters, or eat oysters in months that end in R. Don't eat them in the warmer months. You knew it was coming. It goes back to uh, refrigeration, primarily. Um, at least that's my understanding of it. Yeah, that's that, what I say. Uh, I say the R really should stand for refrigeration. Yeah. yeah. When refrigeration was more difficult and more expensive. Or non-existent. Or non-existent. <laughs> um, it was hard to transport oysters or keep them well. I mean, oysters will keep you can keep oysters for a month, even longer, if you keep them cold. Um, and they're fantastic. But um, Well, they're, they're fantastic at the beginning of the month. <laughs> but they're still... Keep them alive. They're good, but they're they're, good at the end. But of they're them. still alive. Yeah. They're, still, they're not yes, like dead yes. and rotting. Exactly. You know? exactly. Um, they're very hardy. And kind of they hibernate when it's cold, and they stay shut, and they most of their liquor is still reserved. You know, it kind of will seep out toward the end of the month. But... Um, you know, as soon as the you know if they're out of water and not kept cold, you know they die pretty quickly. So what is it? What does it mean when people say oysters are out of season in the summertime, even uh, though we eat them? It depends on uh, spawning primarily. So um, when right after they spawn, or right leading up to when they spawn, uh, the flavor is kind of can be kind of gamey. Um, and the texture also gets a little like creamy. they call it flabbier, like yeah, and that's all all. Uh, dependent on water temperature. So in the summer when the water temperature rises, it triggers spawning, just naturally triggers spawning. And then right after they spawn, they're kind of weak and like, kind of, there's not a whole lot of meat to them and they're kind of, you know, flabby, I guess you would would say. Um, And then the fall comes around and they start really packing it on, packing on uh, weight, if you will. But you guys still serve oysters in the summer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, having traveled around the country and, and studied this for a long time and, and trained folks on how to manage their raw bar programs effectively, not just from the oysters I was trying to sell them, but just to be a good consultant to them, um, I would teach them to look north in the in the summer, right? Yeah. So you look to Canada. Do you look to PEI. We have six PEI oysters on the menu right now, or seven. And you got New Brunswick, and you got Nova Scotia also on the East Coast. The West Coast oysters... The Sycamia species, the Kumamotos, and the Gaiga species, they just are a spawnier creature. They're just a different animal. They're a different species, so they tend to be spawnier in the summer. 
Um, so, you know, look to your Virginicas on the East Coast, which is everything on the East Coast, a little bit more in the summer, in, in August, July and August. And then when September, like you said, you know, oysters are a seasonal crop, right? So they're, I like to say they're exactly like bears. They actually have the exact same life cycle as a bear. Except they won't kill you. They, they won't kill you. Which is why we still claws. encourage eating them. Right. <laughs> well, if you have a shellfish allergy. But they do hibernate. Oh, good point. They're not they do hibernate fish. in the winter, and then they come out of the hibernation, and they eat a lot, and then they mate, and then they eat a lot to get ready for uh, hibernating again. So they're just like bears in that regard. But... Uh, but no. in no other regard. No, and, but, and no actually, other, but in no other regard. Although no. bears do go in salt water. <laughs> actually, they aren't shellfish. I know. My grandmother has a shellfish, shellfish allergy. She can eat oysters. She can't eat, like, lobster, crab, all that. They're, they're, they're bivalves. Bivalves are yeah. crustaceans. She has a crustacean. That, oh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, Ben, you... So, this reminded me, you mentioned something about five different species of yeah. oysters. What's up with that? Uh, Quiz time. Let's go. Yeah. So East Let's Coast. <laughs> so the the five um, East Coast, West Coast, Kumamoto's, Olympias, and Balones. And um, Balone is the European flat species that was super traditional and is super traditional in France. Used to be super traditional in England. Now most of the oysters ate in England are actually East Coast American oysters um, because they completely destroyed their oyster beds. Uh, you know, a hundred years before we destroyed ours. Um, and uh, the only native West Coast species is Olympias. Um, they're pretty hard to get now. I mean, we we get them every chance we can, and we get, you know, we get them every maybe three weeks, four weeks. We had them on the, and we it's it's rare for us to get more than you know one or two hundred of them at a time. Um, they are very small, like a little bigger than your thumbnail. Um, delicious. James Beard's favorite oyster, Mark yeah. Twain's favorite oyster. They're awesome. They're awesome. And it, it's a hard sell for people because they're also very expensive mm-hmm. and they're the, by far the tiniest yeah. oysters. Like people think Kumamoto's are small. These are these are really, really small. But yeah. the meat completely fills the inside of the shell, which is really cool. Great minerality to yeah. them. I mean, they're just a different thing altogether. It's totally different. And they, Great with certain wines. They suffer from the same problem as balones that they have. Um, the abductor muscle is the muscle that holds an oyster tight, like holds it closed. They have a really weak abductor muscle. Um, mm. When you see balloons, they always rubber band them together because if you don't, they um, when an oyster opens, it loses it, its water, which is why I think wet, uh, East Coast oysters um, tend to ship them. everywhere because they have a really naturally strong abductor muscle, which gives it a really good crunch when you bite it, too. It gives it an awesome kind of meaty texture um, and really holds it tight so it keeps it, its water in. Uh, so balloons and Olympias both suffer from having a very weak abductor. So they don't ship very well. So it's, it's hard to get them to places because, you know, 30 or 40% of them die before they get there, which um, also goes to making them much more expensive because you're, you're losing so many of them. I want to take a break here. I want to come back. I want to talk about actually eating oysters. This is the morning after on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. listening to Dirty Hands by Eula. 
I am Michael Brooks from Bedvine, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're back here on the morning after. We've been speaking all things oysters with Kevin Joseph, co-founder of New York Oyster Week, Adam Geringer-Dunn of uh, Greenpoint Fish and Lobster, and Ben Crispin of Maison Premier. Guys, I want to I talk about eating oysters. Yes. Um, can someone walk me through properly shucking an oyster? Oof. Without doing it? Without stabbing my own arm? <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people um, think shucking oysters is a very dangerous activity. Um, and I think most people, people think that because people use way more force than is necessary, and they end up, the knife slips, and they jam it into their hand. Um, but you can't necessarily die from that. I mean, I guess you could. Yeah. I'm sure somebody has. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Died people die in all kinds of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, catch one in the eye or something. I don't know. But, um, but no, I mean, basically, you're taking, you know, usually you, you really want to use an oyster knife. Um, they're designed specifically to open oysters. They're strong. They're sturdy. I've tried opening oysters with all sorts of home knives and appliances, and some work better than others. You know, I have an, screwdrivers ex- an excellent work. knife uh, that you gave me. Oh, it says yeah. Greenpoint Fish and Lobster on it. Those are excellent knives. They're very good. Available at 114 Nassau Avenue. <laughs> um, Come on down. Yeah, but um, no, so you basically you have, you know, it, it, an oyster knife, for the most part, uh, the majority are not sharp at the end. It's a blunt, kind of rounded, blunt end, and you... I've seen people. We've got a shucker who opens them from the opens oysters from the side only, but the way I open them and most people I know open them is, you know, you take you take the point of the knife and you kind of get it. You find a there's like a sweet spot in the hinge, you know, the narrow part of the oyster uh, between the two shells, and you get the knife in and you kind of wiggle it from side to side like leverage it. And I actually have another shucker who refers to it as like like revving a motorcycle, and you kind of like side to side and. Uh, You'll feel it pop, like you kind of put some torque on it, and it'll pop. And you're not. You said twerk. Ju- torque, oh. not twerk. You could twerk while you're you doing it. Twerk an oyster, but um, but you know you're not looking. It's not forward pressure, like jamming through. Because the other thing is, if you jam it in through the oyster, you're likely to go straight through like the stomach of the oyster and kind of shred the whole thing. So you really want to pop it without getting in, getting the knife into the into the body of the oyster. Um, so you twist and it'll pop. You'll you'll feel it pop open and kind of loses its uh, connective ability. And then you, I turn the oyster sideways with the knife in, and take the blade of the knife and kind of s- sweep it along the top of the shell just to, to separate it. Take the shell off, the top shell off, and then all you have to do is sever the meat from the bottom shell. And there's one abductor muscle, and you just kind of quickly give it a, you know, give it a a little scrape. A little, a little. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, separate mm-hmm. it, and um, you know, some people flip the oyster uh, for presentation. A lot of times, the, the top can be a little, you know, dirty looking. You can see the stomach, and if you flip it, it'll often, you know, it's like a nice, clean presentation. Sometimes you open oysters, and the top is beautiful, and you can leave it as is. Have you ever found a pearl in your oyster? Uh, pearls are actually—it's kind of this is one of the big myths. Um, pearls are made from pearl oysters. Very, very, uh, very different. Very specific. Um, kind of oyster. I've gotten like round bits, like kind of crunchy sediment that's like been, it's essentially what a pearl is, but it's not, it's like a rock. It looks like a kind of stone, not a, uh, not a pearl. Okay. Uh, found crabs, find, you know, yeah. there's all kinds of little we, we creatures. Find a lot of crabs. Yeah. I have actually, I, I know have they're you, not you pearls. Eaten one? 
Oh. Yeah, I, I've, de- I've definitely eaten one. We've deep fried them before too, which is kind of cool. The crabs. Um, yeah, they're really uh-huh. small, yeah, almost tr- like translucent. Yeah. Pretty um, creepy looking. Yeah. They are pretty, and they just live in the oysters. I was saying, um, I know they're not pearls, but I have definitely found some. We've had some that are, I mean, almost the size of actual pearls wow. and shiny and look like you could make them into jewelry if you want. It's wow. We've yeah. definitely found some. I did I think, read. I did read that that um, the way that they create fake pearls is by like putting like a little piece of um, like a, a mussel shell into the oyster, and the oyster will build its shell around it, and which would create a pearl. So it'll look like a pearl, but it's actually not a pearl. Yeah. It's just, basically, it's an irritation in the oyster, mm-hmm. and they create this calcium coating to protect themselves from whatever the irritation that's been introduced to the shell because they have no means of like spitting it out really mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's a pearl god they seem smart yeah they do now i feel bad <laughs> they've um, been around for you know yeah but someone told me once that oysters are vegan so it's okay really no i don't actually think <laughs> that but there was there was actually an article i someone who i think i've, I've had a number of vegans vegan. come into the restaurant like i'm vegan so I, I can I can make. I don't agree with that argument <laughs> at all. But apparently, because they have no nervous system or something, I don't I mean, know if you guys want no, to speak to that. They really no are like system. the closest animal to a plant. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah really. They refer Literally. to them as farming. I mean, it really is like yeah. it's not. You plant. Yeah, them, right? yeah. You but plant you them. Plant. They are they are non-mobile. Yeah, but totally you farm passive. fish as well. Yeah, but you don't yeah, but, plant fish. Yeah, okay. fish swim. I mean, you and they're sexile, you actually plant like a oysters. Plant is yeah. sessile, so it yeah. doesn't ever move. You plant yeah. it. Yeah. You buy like like plants. You know, you, most of the oystermen buy seed, yeah, oyster seed, seed that they call seed, and they plant seeds in their farms and grow oysters. They, they don't. They don't move. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I want to ask you another, probably a myth um, about like oysters and sexy time. Do they are they an aphrodisiac? How many do I have to eat? <laughs> I mean, is, is that a thing? It so, on how much sexy time? Yeah, <laughs> I'm told that uh, this all comes from ancient Rome. This was a very Roman doesn't thing. it all? It, 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 Anything sexy yeah, time exactly. comes from comes, ancient pretty Rome. Pretty much comes from Rome. Um, Orgies, Roman oysters. Yeah, well, oysters are very high in uh, metals and minerals and things that a lot of people definitely at the time and probably still now don't get enough of necessarily things like zinc things like like when you see like like male enhancement pills those kind of things a lot of that is is our metals and minerals and oysters are very 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 high in all of those things so uh, whereas it's not i don't think they're necessarily aphrodisiacs i think a lot of it is kind of in your head as well like i I think the appearance um that so too. Can, that also. Add, yes. That also. Add an element to it. That I've, also, I've definitely yeah. read it's like it's good for virility. Ben, have you ever, as service director at Maison Premier, seen someone at your happy yeah, hour? We've seen some, you know, just going. Usually not happy hour. One dollar oysters. You can eat a lot of oysters if you got. You know, I'm some, just going to say that we're open late and it's pretty dark inside. So, so we've definitely <laughs> seen some things. It's weird. I think it it's weird. not just uh, you know. You're talking about the minerality. I agree with all that. You know, there's high, super high zinc content. Yeah, it's, zinc, zinc is, is building bo- zinc is building really block important. for testosterone. Yeah, uh, there's super high, highly soluble amino acids. Those stimulate your brain. So if you take this all in context, right? Where are you eating oysters? You're eating oysters in a beautiful restaurant with music playing and probably alcohol. Lit. You're yeah, definitely yeah. drinking, right? <laughs> so do the math. I mean, it's all contextual. Everything yeah. tees up for. You know, uh, sexy, time. Uh, sexy time, and uh, I also think there's a ritual to it. 
there's a ritual to eating an oyster, and there's always been a ritual to eating an oyster. And I think eating something raw that was just killed in front of you is taboo and ritualistic. And I think, so but, you, that, but you share them too. It's, yeah, oysters it's are exactly great to share. You want because you compare. Yeah. You know, so it's people go. It's a you date. It's a date you thing. Compare. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You sit and you're like, all right, let's get you know a couple dozen, two of each, or four of each, or whatever it is, and you. It's an experience you share with somebody else. I also have this really great theory. Um, be interested to hear what you guys think of this. You know, the, the expression Jonathan Swift is credited for. There was a first. He, it was a, a bold man who first ate an oyster. Mm-hmm. Well, who says it was a man? A. B. She did. I would say <laughs> well, actually, that point, I did in parentheses uh, say a woman well it certainly wasn't somebody in his time right it was I'll tell you who it was it was a bold bipedal hominid who first ate an oyster so my theory is that oysters are an aphrodisiac and oysters are, are sex and we want to eat them because it really harkens back to our most primal protein source long story short somebody walked across the savannah in Tanzania 150,000 years ago and they looked down and they saw the Indian Ocean they walked down the Indian Ocean and the tide went out and they saw these rocks and they realized those rocks had meat in them they put those rocks on a fire and they opened up and they smashed some of those rocks and they found meat inside they just now had the first ever highly available extremely inexpensive from a caloric expenditure standpoint protein made their heads grow and literally made their brains grow because it's full of you know we all know this shellfish is a brain food uh, full of omega-3s and all the great things for your brain. So it's a food that our species knows separated us and allowed us to evolve quicker with bigger brains, better tools, better communication. And so it's a very attractive food to human beings uh, because of that. That's all pr- been very vetted out through re- research and history. The middens have been found in South Africa and, and Tanzania. There's yeah. nothing but fossils. I just want to give you a little round of applause, Kevin. I just, <laughs> you like that? I liked it all Can I get a harumph from everybody in the room? Yeah. All right. So everyone believes yeah. it. Okay. Um, ben, you know, you have a lot of experience watching people eat oysters and, and drinking while they do so. What, in your opinion, would you say, uh, or, or I guess like the philosophy behind Maison Premier, what do you guys encourage people to drink with oysters? What do you think pairs well? So I would say it depends on where you are. It, it, it depends on, on kind of your state of mind. You know, if you're thinking France, if you're thinking, you know, New York, if you're thinking, you Ireland. know, Loire, if you're thinking Ireland. And w- we definitely try to have a little bit of everything. So um, champagne is, of course, classic. Yeah. Champagne, we've got lots of champagnes. And great with oysters. Um, the acidity, the brightness, the, you know, great with oysters. Um we also have uh, a huge selection of muscadets from the Loire. Again, um, the the soil from where from from where these muscadets are from is very very minerally. Lots of granite, you know. It's a lot of shells too, right? Exactly. And Building. some of these some of these are actually prehistoric oyster shells and oyster beds that are fossilized. Yeah. And so the the grapes are growing and the water's flowing through to get to the roots, flowing right over all these old oyster beds. That it's. I mean, it, I mean it's, it's where the mouth of the the Atlantic feeds into the Loire River. Yeah, so is where I would definitely is. say Muscadet is an awesome choice for oysters. Uh, again, the minerality plays so well with, especially a lot of the East Coast stuff that, like, some of the, you know, like, as you go further north, all those oysters, I think, it's just, Muscadet is awesome with that. And some of the older Muscadets, um, we have some cool vintage Muscadets where, you know, the fruit starts to fall away over time and you're left with just such, you know, just bright minerality. It's awesome. 
Um, we also have, and this is really fun, um, we've been having uh, oyster stout made for us uh, recently mm-hmm. from Barrier. Um, our first batch, we just went through our first batch. We're having a second batch made now. It's made specifically for Maison? For us. And it was so made cool. from, the first batch was made from only bologna shells that we served at Maison Premier. We saved the bologna shells separate from the Billion Oyster Project. We saved just the bologna shells. Gave them, I don't know, 60 pounds of bologna shells, 100 pounds of bologna shells, and they made an oyster stout Man, for us. talk about upcycling. Awesome. Really, yeah, really fun. And, so cool. and it's delicious. And again, the minerality, you know, you're, you're filtering it through oyster shells. The minerality's there. It's really fun. We're having a batch made now with, I believe it's all Kumamoto's is what we're doing mm-hmm. now. So we're just trying some different things. It's fun. It's delicious. If you're in Ireland and you're thinking oysters, you're talking stout. Oyster stout's yeah. classic. They used to sometimes throw the actual meat of the oysters in with the wort when they're boiling it. And again, you're getting all the minerals out of that, all those metals, all that zinc, everything out of that. It adds a really fun uh, really fun flavor. Um, also, the yeast can't break down all the stuff that's in oysters. Like the same thing with milk stout, all these things. The yeast can't break it all down. So it's left in the beer, um, which is awesome. It gives it a different texture, a little bit different flavor. It's, it's, it's fun. It does not taste like oysters. It tastes like you know coffee and stout. It's very dry. It's it's really delicious. We did uh, we did that last year with Oyster Week. We did a, a Blue Point brewed an oyster stout for us, and they di- they sold sixty kegs in like two seconds. So this yeah. year they're brewing hundreds of kegs <laughs> of uh, oyster stout for uh, for this year. So the official beer of Oyster Week. So very cool. Um, great beer with oysters. I mean, I, I think that like immediately people would not think dark, richer style beer is what you're supposed to have with oysters. But, but it's dark, dry beer. It's very, very dry, yeah. yeah. Like Gu- the- Guinness is a great example, you know, of a, a classic pairing. Uh, very dry. Um, yeah, they just, you know. I mean, <laughs> they, they, cook, yeah. they cook oysters in Guinness. They cook, I mean, it's, it is a classic, you know, steam open oysters in Guinness is, uh, is amazing. Yeah. You know, reduce that down instead of wine, you know, reduce that down into a sauce and, and you know, I mean that's 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 amazing right there. Oh my god, I can yeah, a couple. Exactly. Uh, was it uh, like two years ago? I did. Uh, I was in Ireland um, and did like a little oyster kind of tour, if you will, up the west coast and stopped at all these oyster nice. cottages, if you will, and just I, like you know, two other people in this bar, and it's just a couple dozen oysters and a whole bunch of Guinness, and it was just quiet and peaceful and like one of the most amazing oyster experiences I've ever had I, I know I didn't know you two years ago but I'm still retroactively pissed that you guys <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous it was, it's awesome That's it's so like amazing. not something that everybody thinks about um, but I found like a, online there's like an old old New York Times kind of thing about like an oyster and beer tour of Ireland and, yeah. and Galway does one of this massive oyster festival actually I missed that but there's some you know Next Ireland time. is really into oysters yeah Jesse I think it's I think it's quiz time. Quiz time. Oh, I think wow. it's quiz time. All right, here we, go. here we go. You know you know a lot about oysters. You've proven beer. that. Kevin, Adam, and yes, Ben, ma'am. you all know a great deal about oysters, but what do you know about the much-loved, old-timey, crunchy bit, the oyster cracker? Welcome to this week's The Morning After Quiz. You guys ready? Bring sure. it. All Absolutely. right, it's three questions. I wouldn't know these either, so don't worry No about Googling. It. No, no Googling. No Googling at all. All right, all right. Here we go. Question one. What is the most common shape for these salty, starchy Oct- things? Oct- octagon. I think it's hexagon. You guys better give Hex- you no, options. I think he's right. He's right. It's what do we get? Multiple choice? Oh, sorry. Multiple choice. Multiple choice. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Jump that was going to be hard. A. Pentagon. <laughs> B. A hexagon. Or C. An octagon. 
I say octagon. I think it's hexagon. I think it's hexagon. All right, we got two for hexagon. No, I say hexagon. I say hexagon. (laughs) I'm going to say pentagon. Pentagon. One for pentagon, two for hexagon. It is actually hexagon. You should go with your instinct, man. Just go with your instinct, Adam. So that means that uh, that Kevin and Ben got question one correct. Points. All right. Uh, Next question, question two. O F O C stands for old fashioned oyster crackers and is an acronym for which type of group? A, a 90s era ska band. B, an anti-gluten-free group based in Portland. Or C, a New England-based line of middle-aged male clothing a la Tommy Bahama. Hold on a second. Did you say an anti-gluten-free? Anti-gluten-free. So there's a group out there that's against people being gluten-free and they're in Portland? That is just question B. Interesting. <laughs> Crazy talk. All right. K- Kevin, A, B, or C? Oh, God. I like ska, so I'm going to say ska, but I don't think that's true. Kevin says ska. Adam, A, B, C. 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 Adam says C. Ben, A, B, C. I really want it to be C. I really <laughs> want it. I, like, I, I don't know. I, find these clothes and wear I, yeah, them? I, I really... I, I don't know. I, I kind of want there to be an oyster cracker based New England wardrobe that a bunch of old rich white guys have. I just, I yeah. really want that. So you can have oyster cracker pants? I really well, want that. a sailboat. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so you're going to go with C? I'm going to go with C. All right. Well, it is actually A. Oh. Wow. Oh, See, well that, done, is, that is why I'm an oystafarian. <laughs> <laughs> I am in touch with my inner ska. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, more. he does not have dreads. Thank God. All right. No, I don't. Uh, Last question, number three. These glorified saltines likely got their name from A, their hexagonal oyster-like shape. I've seen tons of hexagon-shaped oysters, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, B, their creator, Erasmus Oyster III. Oh, that's made up. Or C, because they were traditionally served with oyster stew. Or D, A and C. What was that? Oh, jeez. What was A? What was so A? A was hexagonal oyster-like shape. Uh, their creator, Erasmus Oyster the uh, Third. C was traditionally served with oyster stew, and D was A and C. I say You're going C D C only. You're going D C only for Kevin. C. D for Adam. Ben. I'm gonna go with D. I'm gonna go with D. Gonna go they with do, they do look a little. I mean, as far as crackers go, like, hexagonal though. But as far as crackers go, they why a hexagon. A hexagon, I think, makes sense because you can kind of. I think they're. Are they called a tesseract? Where you? No, not tesseract. Tessellate, where they all fit together for making uh. sheets of them. Mm. So it makes sense. Whereas round leaves space. Damn. In the right. Someone That's, went to college. So, yeah. yeah, there we go. Deep there on the morning go. after quiz. There right we go. Now. They okay. So wait, I'm sorry. I'm I was say a, D. A, you're gonna say, I'm gonna say D. D. Okay. Well, the actual actual answer is D. Yeah. yeah. There is no totally. Tr- there is no totally true. Uh, or they don't exactly know, but they're pretty sure it's either the shape or the uh, of what they were served with. So. Fantastic awesome. job, guys. I think that you all got at least... Everybody at least wins. See. Everybody yes. wins. Everyone tied equally. <laughs> I need a scorekeeper next time. I need a, need a Carl Castle around here. I did it. Everybody here. wins. And I um, got to say tessellate on the radio. Yeah, yeah, which is the biggest word that's ever been tessellate. said on the show. I, I do have to say, but just like their flavor, the history of the oyster cracker is pr- pretty bland. Agreed. <laughs> well said. Um, before we wrap up, I would love for, for each of you guys to tell us you know, where we can find you, if you're on social media, that kind of thing. 
Um, Kevin, why don't you start? Tell us what's going on with Oyster Week. Sure. Uh, well, we're on all the uh, main uh, social media channels, of course. Oysterweek.com is our website. Um, and it's September 11th. Uh, we're starting a new tradition in Brooklyn, actually, with the Brooklyn Oyster Riot. Yes. Uh, that we're doing uh, with um, at the Botanic Gardens um, with the Palm House, and that's on the 11th uh, with WNT Seafood, and it's going to be lots of farmers and their oysters, so consumers can can come and meet farmers, uh, people that actually grow these oysters. I'm actually going to have an oyster diver there too, and a, a, one of the guys I work with that is a scuba diver who forages for oysters with his his hands. Um, about 30 feet of water in Long Island Sound. So it's it'll be interesting for the consumer to come to that event and have that experience. Another event uh, like that will be Oystoberfest, which is our craft beer and oyster pairing, um, where farmers uh, will be you know there shucking their oyster. That'll be oysters from all over the all over the United States. In fact, we got a bunch of guys from the West Coast coming for uh, for Brooklyn Oyster Riot. Um, and then the other big one we have uh, is Empire Oyster. So that's uh, all New York oysters on the 27th. Um, all New York beer with from Blue Point. And we're going to try to do as much uh, as, as we can with... Uh, uh, you know, New York kind of style recipes for mixology and, and as much New York wine as we can use. Um, but we were talking a little bit about wine before. You know, I love the New Zealand wines and how they pair with oysters because, you know, that island and the way the rivers flow there and where the oysters are growing, uh, just they, they just complement it perfectly, like the, like the Muscadets and, and so forth. So those are three big events that are worth noting. We have Merwar at Terroir, which is an oyster and wine pairing dinner. That's very specifically about oysters and wine, so the consumer can come to that and say, okay, what oysters do I really like? Really. Am I really a East Coast? Am I really a West Coast? And, and you know, we've all been to wine tastings, so you go to wine tastings and you taste things like, do you taste that leather on the finish? Do you taste that chestnut on the on the front you know so we get into that kind of thing with the with the oysters and we talk about the wines and david rosengarten is terroir to my meroir on that and he's a you know 2500 shows on the food network kind of a yeah. major yeah. guy <laughs> so what's the website it's oysterweek.com okay so all cool. of the events are listed there and all the participating restaurants and are you guys listed are there. oyster week and why for twitter right at oyster week nyc on twitter yeah NYC. So. okay awesome Thank you. Yeah. Go, Adam. Uh, so Greenpoint Fish and Lobster Company, we just opened uh, about, you know, three and a half weeks ago. We are located at 114 Nassau Avenue, not Nassau Street. Very different. Uh, that'll send you to South Brooklyn. 114 Nassau Avenue in Greenpoint, right off the Nassau G train. Um, you can find us online at greenpointfish.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. Uh, everything's just at Greenpoint Fish. Um, we, you know, we've been really busy getting our, you know, our feet under us up and running, and we would hope to do a number of events coming up, kind of like we've been doing before, but launch a lot of pop-up events, special seasonal events, clam bakes, boils, you know, all kinds of stuff, um, depending as, you know, on the season as things change and certain products come on, come online, um, stop in. We're open seven days a week, uh, 11, uh, noon to 9 PM and, uh, Every every week is Oyster Week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Boom. Ben. Uh, yeah, come see me. Uh, Maison Premier in Williamsburg uh, on Bedford between uh, Grand and South First. We're on, of course, MaisonPremier.com. And then we're on Twitter and Instagram as Maison Premier. Um, 
Yeah, we do happy hour Monday through Friday from 4 to 7 and uh, 11 to 1, uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on the weekends for a little brunch happy hour. Uh, come in and see us. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. You guys were such fantastic guests. I cannot thank you enough. You made Oyster episode the best episode. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is fun. This is The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.